take your Bible and be in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Say it with me. Is that worshiping God? Okay. And I give you permission. And I give you permission to look at the people around you right today. And I want you to ask them, whatever they're doing, is that worshiping God? All right. So let's say that again. Is that worshiping God? All right. Somebody has their Bible open. Is that worshiping God? And the answer should be what? Yes. Okay. Good. And if and if they've got their head bowed, okay, you ask them, is that worshiping God? If they're napping. Obviously, that's not. It? I'm just saying. So that's what. So I give you permission to do that. So you be my eyes and ears, okay? You don't have to rat anybody out or tell tell on anybody, but you just ask them, is that worshiping God? Okay. So that well, you'll be my eyes and ears today. Okay. Good. When I was when I was a kid, I wouldn't say smaller. When I was a kid, okay, I used to watch Batman. You remember Batman? Okay. Y'all remember Batman? Y'all don't remember Batman in black and white, but I do. Okay. So Batman and Robin, his sidekick, would always say, "Holy cow, Batman!" And then, okay, I had no clue what that meant, no clue. I just thought it was something Robin said. Until I was about oh sixth, seventh grade, and I had a geography teacher who introduced world religions to us. And one of those world religions was the Hindu religion, in which they actually do think that the cow is sacred or holy. Still didn't understand what that meant. Okay? But the idea was that they obviously did, but I needed to understand more about it. Now, what I learned was that was a man-made religion, and it was a mistake for them to think so. Just saying, you catch my drift there. Um, for them to do so. But the idea was I needed to know, if, if I'm moving toward God in this series... I need, to do, I need to know something about God being holy and me approaching God with holiness and living out that holiness in my life. So it's not going to be I think I can do in about 25, 27 minutes. Okay? So I'm going to start off with the holiness of God. Okay? That's where we're going to start. So if you will, look with me in Isaiah chapter 6. Because I want us to engage the holiness of God in our worship I want us to live that holiness and let it produce in our lives things that God can look at and say, that's who we are. Okay? Those are my people. Right? So Isaiah chapter 6, reading from the New Living Translation, said, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, 
And the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to his people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am, send me. R.C. Sproul makes an insightful observation from Isaiah 6 when he writes, The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that He is merely holy, or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. But twice, Isaiah 6, Revelation 4, God is called holy, holy, holy. And the whole earth is filled with His glory. So I have to understand, if God thinks it's so important that that's repeated three times when it's used in connection to Him, what does it mean? Here we go. Two ideas that help you kind of understand the Word. The first one is a cut above cut above. That literally is what the word holy means in the Old Testament. It's a cut. It's a separation. It's a... Okay, when you're working cows, right? Okay, you're working the cows, and you cut the cows, those we want to keep, those we want to sell, right? Kind of thing? Make sense? Okay. Then out of those, those that we want, you know, if there's some out there that are not doing so well, we need, they're sick or whatever, we need to get them over here, then we cut the herd, we say. Alright. And then there are things that when we're... Um, when we're looking at things we, and we notice something that's of, of exceptional quality, we, we separate it out separately. Separate. Now, I'll hold that idea. The powers and the characteristics and the nature and the actions are beyond comparison. This is exceptional. This is a cut above. This is something that does not have anything to compare it to. It is... In my world growing up, it was uh, it was secretariat. Okay, when you talk about racehorses, okay. secretariat. Okay. I um, love that horse, okay. um, and there's not been one his equal since. In first okay. For some of you, it might be um, it might be a book that you read that is that is above all books. I would choose the Bible, beyond comparison, okay. nothing else holds together like the Bible does. It's exceptional. It's, uh, it's distinct. It's separate and a class by itself. So if I understand that, then the word itself comes from then to cover and separate. It's outstanding, superior excellence. When the Bible calls God holy, it's saying He is so far and beyond us 
He is such a cut above us that sometimes He's totally foreign to us. It's hard for us to approach Him and feel comfortable. Not only that, but He's not just holy. He's what? Holy, holy, holy. He's not just a cut above. He is a cut, a cut, a cut above that. Follow me? Does that make sense? Okay. Now, the Scriptures put it this way. If you have something to write with, you want to jot these down in the margin as kind of a cross-reference to where you are. Exodus 15 and verse 11. Who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like thee, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? There is nobody like God. You can't compare God to anything. In fact, in Isaiah 6 and verse 1, we'll come back to this in a little bit, you will notice that Isaiah had not seen God, had not had that vision, temple vision, until the king died. There was something more in, in Isaiah's life that was clouding his vision. Some power, some something beyond compare. He felt like, you, you get the sense that until the king died, Isaiah couldn't really get to God. And that's the way it is with us a lot of times. There is something there that becomes a God to us. That clouds our vision of God. Yes, we believe in God, but you know, we can't understand that. He is so holy, holy, holy that, that we can't understand that. And so, we just kind of go with whatever we can substitute there that makes us feel better. Hold that thought. First Samuel 2 and verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides thee, nor there, is there any rock like our God. And yet, Scripture takes us back to that idea that... There is no one like God. He is our rock. Our foundation is what it's saying. Our foundation that we build things on. He never changes. It's always there. It lasts. Psalm 86, verses 8 through 10. There is no one like thee among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like thine. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and they shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous deeds. Thou alone art God. So make a point. What is, what is the one personage that is beyond our understanding and yet does such marvelous things as to include us in what he does? And his name is God. And he is In a class by himself. The second use of the word comes from the New Testament and the Old Testament as well. But it says it's it's completely pure in purpose. Single-minded. Completely pure in purpose. How many of you, uh, holiday season's coming up, right? How many of you have a special set of dishes that you pull out for the holidays? Anybody do that? You don't do that? Okay. Well, some people do. Yeah. Some people have this special set of dishes, you know, um, and it has little Christmas trees on it, kind of thing, or they have little, you know, little scenes on it, kind of thing, or they pull out special trees, you know, or they pull out special things. Why? It's the only time of year we do that. The rest of the time they're in boxes and tubs or whatever else out in the storage shed. But at that certain time of year, for that special, you know, for that special season, there are things that we pull out because we want to celebrate certain things, right? 
So when you, when you separate that out and you only use it for those purposes, that's called being pure in purpose. That's called being consecrated. Okay? To us, that's a common use. Now, if I were to apply that to God, then when something is holy, we use the word consecrated, not for everyday use, but for holy or God's use. Now, consider then, God is completely pure in all of His ways. Well, back in 1 and verse 13. Write that out in the margin. Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil, and thou canst not look on wickedness with favor. When we say that God is spirit, that He knows everything, that He is loving, just, merciful, gracious, and so on, that the tendency is to kind of lump holiness in there with it. That He is loving and just and gracious and holy and da 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 And that's not where Scripture takes us. Where Scripture takes us is that God is holy in a general sense, that He is holiness, and everything that comes from Him is holy. When he talks about God is love, God is holy love. When God is just, God holy justice. God's holy mercy. God's holy judgment. God's holy knowledge. God's holy spirit. Understand? It's not common everyday thing. It's a God thing. That's what I'm talking about. Now. All right? It's a God, and it's pure in its purpose. When God says. You are a holy priesthood. Okay? You are set apart for whose purposes? God's purposes. Okay? When you say we are to live lives of holiness, then we're saying we're supposed to live God-like lives. Live in the state of, and he has live in the state of holy. Live in the state of being set apart for God. Alright? Now, we've got those two things going. So the last thing I want to tell you this morning is that if God is so holy, 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 and we are His holy, holy, holy people, then God's holiness must be revered and respected. Let me give you two examples of where that didn't happen, or one where it didn't and one where it did. It's a matter of great importance to every living soul, because as a person of God, as a Christian... We need to be concerned with the holiness of God. We're looking at Numbers chapter 27. Turn your Bible. We're only looking at verses 12 through 14. Reference back uh, to some other parts. But look at Numbers chapter 27. Numbers chapter 27, starting in verse 12, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up to this mountain of Abiram, and see the land which I have given to the sons of Israel. And when you have seen it, you too shall be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was, for in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to treat me as holy before their eyes at the water. These are the waters of Meribah, of Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. Or Zin. The reference is back to Numbers chapter 20. Here's what happened. They come out there, and as they do, the people of Israel grumble. That's kind of what their name means, you know, to wrestle with God. So they're grumbling about having no waters. Moses had, first of all, you know, brought them out there, and they had grumbled, and God had told him the first time, he said, strike the rock, and water will flow. He did. Everybody got water, that was great. Now the second time, though, in Numbers chapter 20, 
God says, speak to the rock. Now follow this carefully. God says, speak to the rock, and out of it will flow the water to, to nourish the people. All right? Moses looks at these people, and they just keep coming. You know what I'm talking about? It's like a child wanting the candy or wanting dessert before the meal. Am I right? Can we have it now? Can we have it now? Can we have it now? You know, or are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Yeah, they, or they're running off, and you're saying, come here, come here, come here, come here. Stop, 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 stop. Come here, come here, come here, come here. You know what I'm talking about? It's just annoying. Yes? It's just that frustrating. Are you tracking with me? Yes? Okay? Good. I see some parents out there. There you go. And all the little ones are going, that's that's normal. That's just normal. So the idea is that here he goes. Okay? And then you just, you go, there's no water, there's no water, there's no water. Did you bring us out here to die? Did you bring us out here to die? Did you bring us out here to die? We don't need water. There's no water. There's no water. It's like, whoo! So Moses just blows his top. Okay? Blows his top, takes his staff, and says, You want water? I'll give you water! <laughs> Paraphrasing, of course. You know, water, you want water? I'll give you water! Here's water! And he strikes the rock twice, and the water comes. And God says, and Here's where we pick it up. He says, You did not honor me before the people that spoke. So you will not go into the promised land. Wow. He just lost his temper. He just got frustrated. But he didn't honor God before the people as holy. Let's look at that for a moment. In a moment of anger, Moses sinned. Understanding that anger happens. That's not the sin we're talking about. Numbers 20 and verse 12, God says, Because you have not believed me, you treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. So what is the point about the kingdom? What is the point about striking the rock? The point that Moses didn't treat God as holy. And by dealing severely with Moses for his transgression, God has said there in verse 13, who have proved himself holy among them in Numbers 20 verse 13. The root sin was, watch this, the root sin was irreverence. Irreverence. It is something that is being lost in this generation. A lack of reverence before the holy God. What is irreverence? And here's, I think, where the anger part comes in. Moses neglected his fear of God and didn't think it was a big deal right then because he was getting angry for God. He neglected his fear of God in order to do just what he needed to do. It was just a moment, God. It was just a temper tantrum, and I got over it. It was just this. God said, you didn't, you didn't treat me as holy. In fact, I call it today the just epidemic. I hear this a lot, and you do too. You may be even guilty of it. It's just a church service, so I can be there or not be there. It's just how you see it, how you read or how you interpret it or how you use it in your life. It's just something that if I called it by name, 
And I went around and I looked in your life at what you're doing right now. Is it worship to God? Or are you just filling a space, hoping time will pass so you can go do what you want to do? Are you being reverent before the Holy God? And if I were to come around and ask you that and look at what you were doing and you did that, my question would be, is what you're doing worshiping God? Away. That's what the old friends are supposed to be asking, isn't it? Out of the mouths of babies. If I were to call it by name, though, you right now are battling your anger. What right have you to judge me? You don't understand. It's just this or just that. And you know what? You're even mentioning it makes me angry. And because you're angry, you are forgetting the reverence God. It's why we came here. It's who we are. And nothing can take place in the reverence we owe God. In fact, when Moses got angry for God, it was just the time when he let go of his fear of God and what God had said to Jude, and it led to God's rebuke and punishment. What are we doing here? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24. The Hebrew writer is going to make two comparisons. First of all, he's going to take you to a mountain that could be touched. The presence of God that people were afraid of because it shook the mountain, because it, it caused fear, because people were afraid of God, but they wanted they wanted God to take care of them. Because who do you want to take care of you? Somebody who's bigger than you are, who's more powerful than you are, who provides what he provides. But you know what? In his presence, they they needed they needed some distance. And he's going to take you to a spiritual mountain and you're going to understand that that holiness of God is in this place at this time. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, even if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. That's where you are today. We're not keeping time. We're not just suffering through. We are in the presence of God and the faithful. Amen. And it is a holy. Turn with me to Isaiah 6. And I'll wrap this up. In Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8, I love all of chambers who commented that whatever you consider the highest power, when we talked about that, the highest power in your existence will die. The batteries will run out. Okay? The connection will be lost. A soul will be claimed. 
by death. Okay? And whatever that power is in your existence will die, cease to exist, or be replaced. When that happens, he says, then you are ready or prepared to encounter the holiness of God separated from the thing that replaces God. In God's presence, even the heavenly hosts cover themselves. The temple smokes and it shakes like some steam boiler, unable to contain the pressure of the situation. What Isaiah was struck with, literally, with the coal in the, in the mouth and the lips and whatever, was the holiness of God. And he was not ready for that. Woe is me, he says. Oh, I am doomed, one translation puts it. He wasn't ready for that. It caused Isaiah to lament his utter sinfulness. If God was holy, Isaiah saw that he was not. Isaiah confessed his unholiness and that of his people. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. What is the most significant is that Isaiah sees his sinfulness as evidenced by those unclean lips. Now, Scripture will say a lot about what comes out of your mouth. You go there, and that's a whole other lesson. Well, what God is accomplishing in Isaiah's life by this vision is that his holiness was to have a great impact on what Isaiah saw himself as in relation to God, but what Isaiah said about it. What he saw as his mission and what he said as his words. God showed Isaiah his holiness to motivate him to be faithful, for Isaiah to be faithful to his calling and his message. Isaiah never lost that vision. Of whom he must he must both fear and please. Let me wrap it up this way. I'm going to be in Colossians one again. Holiness is what God is. Holy, holy, holy is God. And God is always transparent, pure, and undistilled in His purpose, His plan, and His work. We keep excusing ourselves from that. The devil cannot be allowed to use irreverence as a means to making God's word, worship, church, and presence seem trivial or common or just something else that we do. You have been called before the mountain of God. It's a holy moment. And don't let that hang you. I am not getting on. I'm simply reminding you of where we are and what we do. It's no different than me pointing to this electric socket up here and saying, don't stick your finger in that socket. Why? I love you, but I need to warn you. I appreciate what it can do for us. I stand in its presence. But I understand that it can help and it can kill you. That's a common thing. God is holy. Don't let that, don't let that anger you. Let that own you. Let that own you. God cared enough to show us His glory in Jesus Christ. He cared enough that in showing us that glory that we never take it for granted. Let what powers your life what powers your interest? Let all of that die so that we can replace it and embrace the holiness of God. Colossians 1, starting in verse 21. 
And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. God's invitation is always extended. That people come out from among the common everyday. And that they put on Jesus in baptism so that they can be set apart as his holy people. That invitation is yours this morning. If you can respond, you can come to the front and make me known together this morning.